What's your favorite scary movie? We're gonna press on and we're gonna have the hap hap happiest Christmas. I'll never turn to the dark side. Enter Ben Walk Can you introduce me as Joker? I am the father. Can you hear the music, Robert? Yes, I can. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and this is episode number 95 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. And yes, this episode is being backed up in a safe place, so there won't be any technical issues like last week's episode, but want to thank you again for bearing with me as I navigated some technical difficulties. The, uh, the joys of technology, can't live with it, certainly can't live without it, but uh, nevertheless, after a uh, a little uh, bump in the road, I uh, finally have my review of Poor Things for you today. Also want to do a recap of the month that was, uh, the month of January. I've been trying to watch a film every single night and uh, pretty much hit that uh, hit that mark. I think I, I might have missed one night in uh, the entire month of January, but there was one instance where I watched two movies uh, in a day, so it all sort of uh, averaged itself out, so I'm very happy uh, to, to you know, sort of revisit a lot of uh, favorite films and also check out some new ones along the way. Uh, also, kind of you know, doing a little bit of a housekeeping uh, uh, place table or table setting, if you will, before uh, today's episode, uh, I have a, a film that I, I can't uh, discuss with you because I'm under an embargo, uh, but I had a chance to see this really hilarious romantic comedy that uh, c- can only be described as if when H- Harry met Sally meets Blade Runner. I mean, it's it's really something special, and I, I can't wait to talk more about it, but just a little tease uh, for uh, perhaps a future episode, kind of in, in lieu of a, a Valentine's Day episode. I think that'll be saved for uh, uh, for, for uh, when that time comes around. But uh, yeah, I had a chance to see this film, and it just, it, it, it honestly blew my mind. It was a great uh, a great little film that uh, you know, sort of takes all the best tropes and trappings of the rom-com and mixes it together with, with sci-fi and, and sort of a, a space uh, you know, aesthetic, and it was really, uh, really enjoyable, but more on that uh, in, uh, in short order. Uh, also wanted to, to touch base on the Oscar nominations. The Oscars came out uh, last week, and that was something that was mentioned uh, that I had recorded on the uh, episode at the start, but of course with everything going uh, to hell in a handbasket with the uh, episode being erased accidentally. I did not have a chance to uh, give you my uh, thoughts on the uh, uh, Oscar nominations. Uh, Oppenheimer leading the way with 13 nominations, uh, but again, more on that when, it, when we get to it. And then lastly, just a special comment on something that really uh, really grinds my gears, if you will, uh, to borrow that, uh, that old familiar expression. But 
Uh, it has to do uh, with movies, with the distribution of movies, and yes, I'm I'm looking at you, Netflix. So uh, <laughs> save, uh, get your popcorn out for that uh, special comment at the very end. But uh, I guess what I'll do before I uh, before I get to, uh, to get to poor things. I mean, at this point, sort of been you know teasing it out for so long. Uh, you know, want to make it worth everyone's while. But uh, I'll start with the month that was uh, January. Try to do as I said a film. Every single uh, every single night, and pretty much hit that uh, hit that mark. Uh, so uh, very very pleased, I have to say. Looking back at my uh, my letterbox journal for all the films that I watched last month, like I said, a lot of uh, familiar ones, a lot of uh, uh, repeats, a lot of favorites, but also uh, some new films as well. So I started the month off January first, uh, Happy New Year, uh, with Maestro, and uh, certainly after watching that film, I know I've sort of touched on it a little bit uh, in earlier episodes, but this film is an abomination. Um, And again, no no disrespect to anyone involved, but it, it it feels like a five hour film on a two hour and change runtime. Uh, it's it's overproduced. It's a little melodramatic at points. And I mean, God bless Bradley Cooper, but I I always look at when a when an actor is portraying a a real life person or a historical figure. You're either going to have one of two things. You're either going to have somebody playing said person, in this case, Leonard Bernstein, or it's going to be an embodiment. Again, think of uh, Austin Butler and Elvis, or uh, more more recently, Killian Murphy as as J. Robert Oppenheimer. The the difference between Maestro uh, with with Bernstein and say uh, Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer, it, it's night and day. One is is somebody playing. Uh, that person and, and, and giving a performance. The other one is uh, really becoming an embodiment, and, and that to me is the real, the real difference in kind of what what sort of elevates some uh, you know, biopics, if you will, over the other. But uh, I try not to go on the Oppenheimer uh, kick too early. I, I have more thoughts on that uh, as well. But uh, nevertheless, I started the month off with Maestro, and I did not enjoy that film to say the least. Uh, but I ended the month uh, with a film called. Skin Deep, and it's, it's, how do I even describe this film? Because it was, it was quite a trip. Uh, it, it's, basically think of a, of sort of a, a horror film in the sense of like a body swapping uh, movie or something like out of a, a David Cronenberg, but yet it's, it's more of a, of a drama, if you will, and so while it might be a little unnerving or unsettling, the focus was always on on sort of drama and, and sort of telling a story about uh, individuals, about sexuality, and, and ultimately kind of figuring out you know, you know who we are in, in in said body. It was it was quite a it was quite a film, uh, I have to say, and I, and I would recommend it. So it kind of you know everything all evens out, if you will. Uh, you know, start the month off with. Uh, uh, with a with an okay with a well I wouldn't even say an okay film with a with just a with, with a travesty and then end on a high note not not bad uh, but also uh, I watched uh, the film How to Have Sex which this is again outside of the sort of uh, clever title this is not a comedy but more of a coming of age uh, story that has to deal with consent and and first uh, sexual experiences it's a powerful gripping and at times brutal film with a star-making performance uh, by this actress. Uh, I believe her name was 
make sure I have it right, uh, it is um, Mia McKenna-Bruce. And she is, she is dynamite in this film. Like I said, this is a, a, a film that will catapult her into the mainstream. She was already nominated, or, or I believe awarded, a rising star uh, uh, acknowledgement. So she, she's already on the, on the rise, but th- this film is it, it's a star-making performance, and, and she really adds a believability uh, and a groundedness to this that really tackles the seriousness of, of the subject matter and, and just gives a performance that and a lot of times it, there's no dialogue. It's just watching expressions or, or reactions, and it's it's haunting. It's an absolutely haunting film uh, that 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 really hits you on a on a, on a sort of a, a, a gut level, and it and it stays with you. I I haven't been able to really shake this film since I watched it a little over a week ago. Um, but but in addition to uh, to that. Uh, Rewatch Batman Begins, Inception, Frankenstein, uh, one of my all-time favorite films, Fletch, <laughs> starring Chevy Chase. So it was a it was a great month, um, I have to say, uh, with sort of a, a wide array of different films across the genre, from comedy to horror to sort of everything uh, in between, if you will. But uh, again, that was the that was the month that was, and I'll leave my uh, the, a link in the in the show notes if you want to see all the films that I. Uh, that I watched, and I left a rating uh, as well. Didn't necessarily always uh, get into specific reviews on each one, but did try to uh, to rate each one uh, and, and leave at least some reaction. Again, my 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 uh, my, uh, uh, my my reaction to Maestro certainly uh, uh, got a, a few thumbs ups from uh, from from people. So uh, you know, again, kudos for <laughs> for that, and kudos for sticking uh, sticking with it. I know for a lot of people, they had to, to shut the film off because it was just insufferable. To uh, to get through, but uh, again, we won't we won't go on to that uh, onto that topic again. No need to talk about Maestro again, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, again, that is the movie uh, the, the the month that was. So on to to February now, and uh, looking forward to seeing a few new films this month, as well as of course revisiting a lot of uh, uh, familiar favorites and uh, old hits. But uh, that was the month that was, and again, I will keep you up to date as uh, things develop throughout February and beyond in the year 2024. Uh, So again, I mentioned the... uh uh, the film that I can't talk about, but I will be talking about in a, uh, a few weeks. But uh, let's uh, let me let, let's go on to poor things because I have I've I've tortured you guys enough with the uh, suspense and, and and build up. This film is how do I describe it? It is bizarre. It is funny. It is awkward, but in a good way. It is it is it is humorous. It is charming. It is tender. It is sweet. It, it, it's it's a hodgepodge of emotions that that really just sort of leaves you in sort of a almost a euphoric state uh, at the end. Even though the film does deal with some rather serious uh, matters and tones, the film it stars Emma Stone as this woman Bella who is brought back to life in kind of a a, a futuristic. Uh, world, if if you will, um, but but it's very stylized in kind of almost like a, a Victorian uh, uh, sort of landscape and 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 and, and aesthetic and, and and design. So it's a kind of a, a unique kind of uh, world that is that is 
created for the film that's unlike anything you've ever seen. It's, it's visually stunning and dazzling, literally from the start uh, to finish. But there is a lot of Frankenstein elements in this film. And while it is not a, a horror film, it does certainly take its cues from sort of the, you know, the, the creation, if you will, uh, you know, vis-a-vis Frankenstein and, and sort of the, the, the quote-unquote mad scientist, if you will, in this film played brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly by Willem Dafoe. He is responsible for, in, in effect, bringing Bella back to life. Now, it, you know, spoiler alert uh, if you have not seen it yet, but Bella uh, ends up, you know, in her previous life, ends up committing suicide and then is brought back uh, to life uh, by Defoe's character, and as a result, sort of goes on this journey of sort of sexual awakening and, and sort of rediscovering what it means to be human, what it means uh, to be to be Bella, and, and sort of you know running up against the the pressures and the conformity and the and the social norms of the day, and sort of becoming her own person, and sort of standing there and you know kind of offering, if you will, a middle finger to anyone that would dare try to, you know, put her in a box, so to speak. It, it, is, it is an absolutely marvelous and bonkers film that it, I, I was just dazzled. I was absolutely dazzled by this film. I think just from a, a visual standpoint, it, it's probably the most artistic film uh, of last year. And I, I would be stunned if it did not win the Academy Award for production design because it, this is, I mean, this is like something out of a out of a storybook, out of like you know, Alice in Wonderland or The Wizard of Oz. It's very larger than life, but yet the setting may be so extravagant and otherworldly, if you will. But the characters are are grounded, and there is a believability that the audience can can relate to and can be invested in. And we really are on this journey with Bella. It, it is. Emma Stone's movie. I want to make no uh, make 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 it, make it clear about that. This is her film, and she carries it from start to finish. Now, I mean, you know, as an aside, I'm really pulling for Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon to win Best Actress. But if Emma Stone were to take home the uh, the Oscar gold, if you will, for her uh, her second win in the Best Actress category, I would not be shocked because there's so much that she has to do in this film. It's you know, again, it's it's sort of learning what it means to 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 be a person, to be human again. And and she's she's funny, she's witty, she's awkward when she when she needs to be. She's you know she d- does this this sort of awkward and and clumsy and yet at the same time kind of beautiful dance in the film. I I I'm just blown away by just the sheer magnitude. Of, of her performance, and, and there's a reason why she's garnering such praise and accolade because it is such a uh, a, a, a riveting performance that really forces her to sort of make choices as as an actress that you you know you might otherwise not have to do uh, in a particular uh, film. I mean, you know, certainly sex scenes are not uh, you know are are not you know abnormal in in in, in movies today. But certainly in this film, uh, there was a lot of uh, you know sort of you know uh, nose in the air and, and prudish nature, a lot of pearl clutching about the the sex scenes in this film. I and mean, there are, I mean, you know, spoiler alert uh, if you haven't seen it. But I mean. It's never uh, it's never over the top. It's never gratuitous. It's 
It's there to serve the story. Everything that happens in this film, uh, particularly with uh, with Stone and, and and Mark Ruffalo's character, who he's also he's also brilliant in. It. I have to say that uh, as a as a as someone who's not always a big fan of Mark Ruffalo's work, he really shines in this particular film uh, as well. But again, a lot of the the story is about Bella sort of awakening, if, if you will, you know, again, coming back to life and then discovering what it means to be to be human and learning all of the sort of emotions and, and ticks and traits and, and, and uh, reactions and, and movements, if you will, that sort of are part of, of everyday life. And on that note about the Frankenstein uh, elements, because it certainly borrows from that original story, Defoe's character, you know, his name is Doctor Goodwin, and, and you know, quote unquote God, if you will, and you know, much like the Frankenstein character in in the story and and movies, he is he is the one responsible for you know sort of creating, if you will, uh, the monster. Um, but this is again, this is not you know people sort of think you say Frankenstein, you think of well uh, the, the the classic Boris Karloff film or, or the subsequent films that have been made in the years afterwards. And that's not the case. I mean, when I when I think of Frankenstein, particularly vis-a-vis the novel, it is a much more human story. It's a much more emotional story about, about temptation, about creation, about being able to sort of push the bounds, if you will. And and that's kind of the sort of the, the cues, if you will, that this this film takes with and ultimately wrestles with. Um, as a as a question. Now it is based on a novel. I have not read uh, read the book, but I am curious to pick it up at some point and see you know where the similarities are, where the differences are, because it, th- this is a, a a brilliant film, and it, and it's one that I think will be be looked at um, you know looked at for for years to come because the the character of Bella is is such a unique creation. <laughs> both literal and, and physical sense, the ideas that she is wrestling with and sort of, you know, the idea of forming free will and, and sort of embracing uh, the human spirit, all of that is, is is there. And again, you sort of watch this character as she sort of discovers, you know, basic pleasures, you know, sex, dancing, you know, drinking, having a great time. Ultimately, the film kind of says that there's there's more to life than just, sort of simple pleasure. There is that idea of forming an identity and becoming sort of larger than yourself, becoming involved in something larger than yourself and, and sort of you know, marking your own course, if you will, in the world. Uh, I won't spoil the ending because, again, I think it, it all really ties together the themes uh, that the film is tackling, but it, it, is a, it is a masterpiece. And I know that is a word that gets thrown around a hell of a lot, but that is certainly fitting for this particular film. Uh, it, it is viewed in some circles as maybe a, a, an underdog or, or perhaps a, uh, a wild card, if you will, to uh, to take home the Oscar gold uh, for for Best Picture. And you know, while my money is still on Oppenheimer, uh, I would not be uh, I would not be surprised if Poor Things uh, did pull an upset. And uh, you know, I, I certainly you know. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, standing on the Oppenheimer Hill, but uh, I can't, I can't say a, a bad word about this film because it, it is, it is charming, it is weird, it is funny, it, it, it's, it's everything. It, it's a story about, about acceptance. It's a story about, about individuality. And again, just you top it off with killer performances, especially from Emma Stone, who, 
easily is one of the greatest actors, actresses of her generation. Uh, you've got something really special here. And, uh, you know, again, it's one of those films where you always wonder, does, is it going to live up to the hype? Because there was a lot of speculation and press and, and sort of praise, early praise for this film before it opened in December. But uh, I can say that it does, it does deliver, and it, it is a film that is uh, certainly worth being uh, in, the, in the conversation, if you will, for, for Best Picture of of last year but uh there we go there's my reaction to uh to poor things i will probably do a further episode at some point uh more of an in-depth analysis and breakdown because there there's a lot to unpack with this film and and i I would actually like to read the novel first and then kind of compare it with the film so uh you know stay tuned for uh maybe more poor things uh in the uh in the coming uh in the coming months but uh, i wanted to at least give you my reaction uh, to this film, especially after uh, last week's little technological uh, hiccup. But uh, there we go. There's poor things. I say, uh, I say, see it, and I say, see it at least twice because it is. There's a lot you pick up on uh, the second, uh, second go around. Particularly little, little nuances and just sort of the, uh, sort of the intrinsicness of of the performance by Emma Stone. It, it is. It, it's a marvelous. It's a marvelous performance and. Uh, it, it's it's a film that you, you don't forget uh, soon after you've seen it. But uh, there we go. That's a perfect segue to go into the Oscar nominations. As I said, uh, Oppenheimer is leading the charge uh, with 13 nominations, uh, certainly uh, making it a, a heavy hitter heading going into uh, the Academy Awards in March. And I, I must say, I am I'm absolutely just dazzled and, and, and happy that this film continues to, to garner the praise and, and accolades. It, it, is, it is without question the best film from last year, but moreover, it is, it is honestly one of the best films in recent years. You know, a lot of times with, with, uh, with Oscar, you know, the Oscars, you know, you sort of have four or five films and people talk about them, you know, they get praised and whatnot, but then once the award season is over, nobody talks about them again. They sort of fade from view or they become part of the lore, if you will, of the Academy Awards. I don't see that happening with Oppenheimer. I mean, yes, I admit it, I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan, so that, you know, helps, you know, color my opinion, if you will, but this is a this is unlike any any recent uh, best picture contender. It's unlike any recent biopic, if you will. This is a a, a, a blockbuster of a film that that tackles such serious and, and frankly relevant themes that we're dealing with even today. Of course, you know the big topic of of nuclear weapons. Uh, I recently saw it again over the weekend, uh, and I actually saw it with uh, my sister who had not seen it and and she was again she's always you know someone you know it, it doesn't she she likes to sort of keep her opinion uh held back and sort of you know well that was good but then you know we, we don't talk about it again she was blown away and you know <laughs> no pun intended by this film uh, and I, again it just has that effect on audience i think the, the the way it is written, the way it is shot, the cinematography, the music, the just the the magnitude of the performances, it is it is something incredible, and I am just delighted to see that it is getting all of this continued praise and recognition, and I am I am hoping that it will uh, go all the way uh, uh, for the Academy Awards. I will I will circle back in the coming weeks uh, with my with my predictions on what I think the film will. Uh, 
take home. But uh, you know, certainly uh, it's it's going to be a big contender, a big uh, a big winner, I think, come uh, come Oscar night in in March. But uh, more on that uh, in in the coming weeks. But but in addition to to Oppenheimer, certainly I'm going to be banging that drum. Um, uh, until uh, the award season is over, and then some. But even just the, the 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 nominees this year for particularly the best picture category, some real heavy hitters. I mean, this is not a, a weak bench of films. Like, and like I said, in a lot of years you'll have maybe one or two films that you know, sort of register, if you will, on 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 people's radar. Uh, but a lot of niche films, and not that that's a a bad thing one way or another. But it's really it's really wonderful to see such a wide array of films across all genres being nominated this year. And and a lot of films, frankly, you know, like Arpenheimer, like Barbie, that really resonated with with the public. But but in addition to that, uh Killers of the Flower Moon is nominated. Poor Things, as I mentioned, is uh is nominated. Another beautiful and, and, and real touching film uh, called Past Lives. That's also nominated. So just a sort of a, a, a wonderful array of, of different films that really sort of touch on all the different tastes and genres and, and interest. And they're not necessarily, uh, you know, quote-unquote niche films. They really do feel like they are, are mainstream, if you will, but, but not in a sense that they sort of lose their uh, artistic, uh, you know, integrity. Not that, you know, Blockbusters have to you know check their artistic integrity again. I'll be I can imagine the the response to that uh, comment, but you know, bear with me if you will. There's there's something to be said about about larger than life, about big scope uh, movies that that still manage to have a compelling story and are, are given uh, world class performances, and that's I think apparent across the board uh, with the uh, with the nominees this year, but. Uh, that brings me to one final point, and again, special comment uh, that that just caught my eye actually as I was recording, getting ready to record this episode uh, today. Uh, but uh, this is this is coming uh, coming from Netflix, uh, the uh, the popular uh, streaming site. Um, this is from the uh, um, uh, one of the uh, the uh, the head honchos, if you will, um, for um, uh, for for the company. And again, of course, Netflix. Their whole model is they they do uh, you know streaming. It's it's you know, films you can watch right at home, watch on on your TV, watching on your tablet, phone, what have you. Uh, they have in the past. They've done minor theatrical releases, but but never anything on a large uh, scope. Uh, but they wanted to make it official uh, today that Netflix will never do theatrical releases, and this was the quote, our members love films and they want to see the films on Netflix. Our business is to make sure that members come to Netflix. Now, Netflix can do what, what Netflix wants to do. You know, kind of, you do you, Netflix. But I just have to say, I, I think it is really, it, it is sad that um, they are sort of cutting out that option for a theatrical window because, yes, there is nothing that, you know, that, that beats sort of the convenience of Having a film available to watch, uh, sort of at your fingertips and watch in the comfort of your own home, but and I've said this many times on the on this platform, nothing trumps the theatrical experience in my eyes. There is something about going to a theater, sitting there in the dark, having no distractions, and just watching the film 
on, in some cases, the biggest screen imaginable. And I just think it's a real shame that Netflix would want to sort of limit themselves. Again, I know that's that's their business and they have their model, they have their numbers, it clearly works for them. But to me, the theatrical experience is something that I would never want to to, to lose or be taken away. And I, I fear that, that there is that sort of mentality among the, the suits, if you will, of uh, all these different streaming uh, companies and even movie studios that all oh, just put it out uh, you know, for, for streaming and, and sort of nix the theatrical uh, model. And certainly with, with COVID and sort of the change in, in, in the economy, you know, the theatrical experience has, has found itself struggling in recent years. And I just would hate to see that, that ever taken away because there is something unique and, and wholly original about being able to just watch that movie, watch any film on the big screen. Again, I think of a movie like Oppenheimer, and I know I promised I wouldn't do more Oppenheimer talk, but you'll you'll bear with me. Uh, again, I could not imagine watching that film for the first time just on on a streaming platform, or even think going back years ago to a film like the original Star Wars. I mean, and how how almost a, a cheat that would be to see something so magical and larger than life without the big screen uh, experience. And again, I know everybody has their preferences. And again, if, if, if you like streaming, if you like being able to, to watch at home, that, that is perfectly fine. You, you do you is, uh, is always my, uh, my thing. But like, for me, I, I don't want to see the theatrical uh, experience uh, diminished or taken away because that, that is, that's the point of movies. We, we want to we go to the movies. We want to experience the movies. And, and even with, with state-of-the-art surround sound and, and, and home theaters, nothing will replace that experience of actually going to another venue, going to a place, sitting there in a seat, and watching the movie. That is that is something that that can only be experienced. You can't you can't describe it in a lot of ways. You can't transfer it into uh, the home setting because it is a totally different reaction and totally different experience. So just when I saw this uh, statement about uh, Netflix never wanting to do theatrical uh, experiences, I would say you know, never again, even though they have done it with a few films in the past, I, I think it's a real shame. And, uh, you know, again, I, you know, if, it, if, it were, if it were me running Netflix, uh, I, I would make it an option for, for some films because, you know, you think of uh, recent movies that they've... Uh, They've had like Glass Onion or uh, The Irishman, which did have limited, limited uh, theatrical windows. Uh, what a shame to just sort of relegate films of that scope and, and magnitude to to just Netflix. And I think of a film like David Fincher's uh, The um, The Killer, which came out last year. That should have been a theatrical movie, hands down. But uh, again, I won't I won't go on anymore. I'll get, I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, just know that this is a this is a this is a, a a development which it does it does grind my gears because I I do savor and enjoy the theatrical experience and and I I you know fortunately there are a number of filmmakers again shout out to Christopher Nolan who still sort of you know embrace and and, and sort of give a full uh, endorsement of the theatrical experience so I'm I'm hopeful that that this will not become the prevailing thought as the years go on but sadly I I, I do think it is becoming more and more the norm that uh, we will see streaming uh, sort of replace the theatrical experience more and more and I just I, I think that's an absolute uh, crime and it, and it diminishes and, and, and sort of 
destroys, if you will, the 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 real primal experience of, of watching a movie in a theater and and having that 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 takeaway. You you cannot uh, exchange it for for the home setting, at least on that first time. I look at all the great films that I uh, have, have loved and enjoyed. I think what a waste uh, it would have been to have just experienced them uh, at home on, on the TV screen. Again, nothing will replace that, and that is a that is a hill I will die on. So, again, not to, not to, to belabor the point, but uh, you do you, uh, Netflix, uh, but uh, I'm going to stick with my uh, theatrical experience and, and going to the movies as long as, as it is possible, and God willing, that will not change anytime soon. But, all right, there we go. I will, <laughs> I will get off my soapbox uh, for now and uh, end today's episode. want to thank you, as always, for tuning in and hearing what I have to say on movies. And if you haven't had your fill of me here, I would encourage you to check out uh, DC Unlimited, the uh, podcast that I do with my two friends, Anthony Caruso and Chris Evans, where we talk all things DC with a strong emphasis on Batman. I should be having another episode dropping uh, in another week or so, but uh, give, that, uh, give that podcast a, a like and a, and a follow, especially if you're a fan of uh, the, the comic book movie genre and uh, just to support uh, Anthony and Chris as well because they are they're two great guys and uh, they uh, certainly have a, a passion uh, as, as well as I do but they, they bring a lot of great points and discussions uh, to our episodes and I've just loved doing uh, every bit of it and uh, looking forward to the year ahead which will be a little comic book light but uh, you know, there's, a few, uh, there's a few good ones uh, uh, coming out later in the year uh, specifically Joker 2 but uh, more on that in the uh, coming, coming weeks and months but that is all that I have for you today I'll be back next week and we'll do this all over again for the love of movies All copyright material used or referenced in this show belong to the rightful owners and is made possible by the Fair Use Act. Thank you for listening to Phil at the Movies.